0: Phil good morning everybody we're going to uh, spend a few moments around the Lord's table remembering what the Lord Jesus has done for us I want to read just a couple of verses from Matthew 26 three verses in fact Matthew 26 verse 26 Now as they were eating, and this was the final Passover that Jesus would share with his disciples. So they're eating the Passover, the last one. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus took the bread, he blessed and broke it. At Passover when the bread was lifted up by the head of the household he would say, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. Everything eaten at the Passover meal had symbolic meaning. For example, the bitter herbs recalled the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. The salt water reminded the the people of the tears shed under Egypt's oppression. The main course of the meal, a lamb freshly sacrificed for that particular household did not symbolize anything though connected with the agonies of Egypt. It was the sin bearing sacrifice that allowed the judgment of God to pass over, hence the word, to pass over believing households. Take, eat, this is my body, this is my blood of the new covenant. Jesus didn't give the normal explanation of the meaning of each of of the foods. The focus was no longer on the suffering of people in Egypt, but it was on his suffering that was about to take place when he would bear our sins on the cross of Calvary. And so this is how we remember what Jesus did for us. As we eat the bread, we remember how Jesus' body was pierced and beaten for our redemption. As we drink the cup, We remember that his blood, his life, was poured out for us on the cross of Calvary. The new covenant concerns an inner transformation that cleanses us from all sin. This transformation puts God's word and God's will into our hearts. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is my blood shed for many. Christ's blood was not just shed for the 11 who were sitting with him around the table. More than likely, Judas had departed by now. He said, this is my blood, which was shed for many. It was poured out for all sinners everywhere. Jesus calls us to commemorate not his birth, not his life, not his miracles, but his death. For by his death, we are reconciled to God. We were his enemies because of our sins, and now we are his friends because of Calvary. Of course, eating is absolutely vital for all of us. Without food and drink, no one can live. Without Jesus, we perish. Everyone must also eat for themselves. No one else can eat, can do it for us and today we eat not to receive salvation but because we already have salvation because of our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our eternal salvation Jesus gave thanks imagine that he knew what was about to happen yet he gave thanks he knew that good would come out of evil for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross so as we partake today we're doing two things We are remembering our Lord Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. And we are reminding ourselves that we are totally and utterly dependent upon him and nothing else for our salvation. You may like to take your, what do you call this? Your communion cup and peel off the the top layer. To expose the bread, I'm trying to do this without wearing it. Let's give thanks for the body, for the bread. Father, we've only just read a couple of verses, but the the, the words that Jesus spoke, words that are very meaningful, very significant, because they speak of his death. His death on our behalf there at Calvary. We can't imagine the agony and the suffering that he went through because of our sins. There was the physical agony, of course, but there was that taking on board our sins and then being separated from fellowship with the Father. And that was incomprehensible for someone who was the Son of God, who who had dwelled eternity with the Father. And so we come this morning, Heavenly Father, just say thank you from the very depths of our being for the Lord Jesus and for his life given there on Calvary that now we are forgiven because our trust is in him and him alone not in works just in Jesus the person the son of God and we bless you in Jesus name amen please partake of the of the bread we want to continue with very thankful hearts because it is through the blood of Jesus that we are reconciled to you. Through your blood, we are forgiven. Through your blood, propitiation or the wrath of God was turned away. And now Jesus took our punishment instead of us. And so we again just continue, Lord, with very grateful hearts and we'll be grateful for all eternity for the so great salvation that Jesus bought for us at Calvary. And so we drink, Lord Jesus, remembering what you did for us and reminding ourselves that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. There is no other way to the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink
1: together. Well, I want to add my welcome to you as well. so great to be able to be meeting together for Inspire again on this special Inspire service. And I'm going to invite Carly to come on up. We are really blessed to have Carly coming to share with us. Um, if you don't know Carly and her family, her mum and dad, Mal and Kathy, were one of the original six couples sent out from Ashgrove way, way back, 1992. And uh, Mal and Kathy have poured so much into um, the ministry here at Bridgman have been a key part of that. Many, many a late night packing up, Mel, after Christmas carols and um, late, late nights. But it's been such a joy, hasn't it, to be a part of God's work here. And Carly is completing her Masters of Divinity. That's right, isn't it? Bachelor of Ministries. Bachelor of Ministries. One day. <laughs> One day, maybe. She'll go on. But Bachelor of Ministries, um, and has been... Uh, doing very, very well in her Bachelor of Ministries. And she has come, she ministers here often at our Inspire service. Many of you know Carly well. So can you make Carly feel really, really welcome as she comes to share with us? I'm going to pray for Carly as well. Let me pray here. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. Um, Lord, thank you that you are a God who has drawn so near And Lord, that you long uh, to speak into each and every heart and life. So bless Carly, I pray now, as she shares your word in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Thank you, Pastor Nathan. Good morning. Isn't it good to share in worship together today? Especially after the year we've had. Across the course of the year, we've experienced change uncertainty, and disappointment. So this time that we share together is precious. It is holy. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Carly. I've had the privilege of coming along to Inspire for the past six years. If I do not yet know you, please introduce yourself to me. Or if you're a familiar face, don't hesitate to say hello either. I absolutely love sharing every second Wednesday with you all. You've taught me so much in my faith. And so it is great, with great honour and humility that I come to share God's word with you today. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are able to come and worship you and hear from your word. We want to surrender ourselves to you this morning. We pray that you would open up our hearts to be receptive to your word this morning. Would you speak directly to us and meet us here today by your Holy Spirit. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love a good story. When I was a little girl, my uncle used to come around to our house and tell the most amazing stories. The key to a good story is that it draws you in, building tension as you long to hear how the story will be resolved. The beginning of a story matters. It sets the scene for what is to come. Think of the opening of Charles Dickens' classic, The Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. The reader is instantly drawn in to discover more. The beginning of a story matters. When watching a TV series, we are usually prepared to view until the first ad break to determine whether we will continue to watch. Then, after watching the pilot episode, we then decide whether we are willing to invest hours of our lives to see how the story will be resolved. If I was to tell you the story of the year 2020, it would begin something like this. The year 2020 started just like any other year. Crowds gathered to see the clock strike 12. Children stood in awe and a little bit of fear as they watched the fireworks explode. We in Australia celebrated blissfully. We had no idea what would hit us in the months to come. We had high hopes and expectations. We knew not of the disappointment to come. As the coronavirus crisis gripped our nation, the institutions and individuals in which we had placed our hope came crumbling down. We were no longer able to come in contact with those outside our household. Many of us here were placed in the high-risk group. Fear, anxiety, loneliness, and isolation were the only visitors to our door. We had placed our hope in social distancing measures. The enforcement of lockdown carried the promise that life would return to what it was before. We had placed our hope in the government to protect us but politicians are fallible after all. We had placed our hope in a vaccine, but as we eagerly await its arrival, we have had to adjust to a very different way of life. When we made our New Year's resolution on the eve of 2020, none of us knew how society would change forevermore. The beginning of a story matters it sets the scene for what is to come. In this introduction to the year 2020, we see the way that we as humans place our hope in worldly institutions and individuals, which ultimately leads to disappointment. Even as Christians, we place our hope in worldly things. and Whether they are taken away or proved to be fallible, we end up disappointed. So we know how the year 2020 began and its subsequent disappointment, but how is the year going to end? To find God's word for us today, we are going to turn to the beginning of the Book of Kings. Kings' original audience had placed their hope in the institution and individuals of the monarchy, but it ended up bitterly disappointed. By examining the beginning of the book in light of how it ends, we can find God's universal message to us today in the midst of disappointment. So if the beginning of a story matters, how do you think the book of Kings begins? In the previous book of Samuel, we were introduced to the magnificent King David. David, the humble shepherd who defeated the giant Goliath David, the powerful warrior, the man after God's own heart. David, the gifted musician. David, the penitent king. David, the anointed one of God, the rightful king over God's people. In 2 Samuel 7, God made David an incredible promise to establish the Davidic kingdom forever. Through David and his descendants, God would establish a kingdom, which was to be the embodiment of the kingdom of God on earth. In light of this promise, we would then expect the book of Kings to open with a powerful Davidic king on the throne, whose kingdom would be radically different from the kingdoms of the earth. God would be at the very center of the monarchy, which would exist to mediate God's blessing to all the nations of the earth. So let's open up our Bibles to 1 Kings 1, 1 to 4, and read the beginning of this story together. When King David was old and well-advanced in years, he could not keep warm, even when they put covers over him. So his servants said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to attend to the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no intimate relations with her. This is the beginning of the Book of Kings. This is not the beginning of the everlasting Davidic dynasty we would expect. Imagine this was the beginning of a movie. Would you watch on? Try and picture the scene here for a minute. The scene opens with a close up of an old dying king. Israel's vaunted king is pictured as a pale shadow of his former self. The scene pans out. Then we see servants frantically running everywhere, doing whatever they can to keep the king warm. Would you watch on? Unlike the story of the year 2020, the Book of Kings does not begin with a glorious celebration of the strength of Israel's monarchy, but provides hints from the beginning that the kingdom was doomed for destruction. Let's explore what's going on in these verses. The dilemma in this story is that King David cannot keep warm. While the issue of keeping warm might not seem too serious to us, in the book of Kings, the word warmth describes the presence of life. David's absence of warmth suggests the great king had reached the end of his life. His imminent death places the Davidic dynasty in jeopardy. With David gone, who would carry God's promise of an everlasting kingdom into the future? The king cannot keep warm. He is dying. Now, if we were David's servants, we too would try everything we could to keep the king warm. He was, after all, appointed to be the vice-regent of God. Our first reaction, even today, thousands of years later, would be to warm the king by covering him with as many blankets as possible. But our plan fails. Even with blankets, the king cannot keep warm. The next thing we as David's servants would do is call 136, the National Home Doctor Hotline, or if we were seriously worried, we'd call an ambulance to seek medical treatment for the king. However... For David's servants, 21st century medical treatment was not just a phone call away. Instead, they employed the best help available to them. Now, in a treatment which sounds bizarre to us, David's servants attempted to slow or even reverse the process of death by having a young virgin named Abishag lie beside the aged king to keep him warm. Like the warmth of another body beside you on a freezing winter's night, the warmth of the young body was to transfer warmth to the aged king. It was hoped that Abishag's presence would restore life to the dying king. But warmth does not return to David's body. Individual human beings are not the source of life the servant's plan ultimately leads to disappointment. They had not only placed their hope in David by viewing him as an immortal king, but had placed their hope in physical solutions, which had left them disappointed. These opening verses to the book of Kings provide hints from the beginning that the kingdom was doomed for destruction. Now, have you ever started a journey and persevered, ignoring the signs from the beginning that it was doomed all along? See this? If you know a little bit about cars, you'll know that this is an alternator. Without a working alternator, your car won't go, or it won't go very well. A few years ago, my family and I were going to see a musical in the city. It was a nighttime performance, so we were all under pressure to be home from work in time to travel into the city. We all piled into the car, rather rushed, and set off. We hadn't gotten too far past our street where the engine started to rumble and make some funny noises. Mom wanted to turn around, dad was certain we would make it. It was when we got to Alderley Onogra that the radio and air conditioning systems cut out completely. Things were not looking good. We took a vote and decided to make a dash home. That trip was the most stressful car trip of my life. After the aircon, next to cut out were all the lights on the dash. One at a time, every system in the car was shutting down. I was praying fervently to God that He would get us home safely. Three streets out from home. all we had left was the brake. Not the accelerator, no engine, the brake. Dad was able to get the car up the driveway, into the garage, and there it stopped. Just as we pulled up, the car died completely. Though we ignored them, there were signs from the beginning that our car trip was doomed. And it was all thanks to this, the alternator. In the same way, the Book of Kings provides hints from the beginning that the kingdom was doomed for destruction. Remarkably, Kings not only begins with the death of its hero, death pervades the entire book. One after another, the death of each Israelite and Judean king is recorded. Through this opening narrative, we see that life does not lie in the kingship of Israel. Placing hope in worldly institutions and individuals ultimately leads to disappointment. We know how the book of Kings begins with King David on his deathbed. The book of Kings ends in a similar way with the death of the whole Israelite system of kingship. The kingdoms of Israel and Judah are no more. The monarchy had failed. The people had been taken into captivity, exiled from the land we could not even begin to imagine the trauma associated with the people's expulsion from the land. They would have been experiencing a grief beyond disappointment. Their identity, so connected to the land, had been shattered. They would have been asking themselves, are we still the people of God, outside the nation of God? Because the book of Kings was written to the exiles after the kingdom had been destroyed and they had been expelled from the land, this opening chapter can teach us about the ultimate place we are to put our trust. With its grandeur, power, and historical connection to the promises of God, the people had placed their hope in the institution of the monarchy to protect them. The monarchy was their salvation. The monarchy was their hope. But sitting in exile with Jerusalem in shatters, their worldly hopes had come to naught. They would have been experiencing a grief beyond disappointment. Maybe you're sitting here today experiencing a grief beyond disappointment we could all tell a story of how, in some way or another, our hopes have been disappointed. Whether it be due to the coronavirus pandemic, as we've reflected earlier, or be because of financial pressures, politics, health, relationships, work, or the everyday events of life. Worldly things ultimately let us down They are not able to carry the full responsibility of our hope and when they disappoint, we end up shattered. The people of Israel learnt this the hard way. We can learn from their mistakes. Peter Lethart on his commentary on Kings asks the provocative question, Does this introduction to the book of kings foreshadow the eventual death of the Davidic monarchy and of Israel thrown into the grave of exile? Is Israel represented by the Davidic king doomed to die even before the story begins? Or does one to two kings begin at a deathbed to show that history moves on after death? to suggest a hope for resurrection. The book of Kings suggests that there is hope, even after such heavy disappointment. There was hope for the exiles, and there is hope for us today in the midst of disappointment. Kings was written to remind the people that God had not abandoned them in exile was using the exile to draw them closer to him. In the same way, God is using our disappointed hopes to draw us closer to him. We've come to the realisation that we have no control over the future. We are powerless in the face of our own mortality, but we serve an immortal, all-powerful God. And in the midst of disappointment, God is calling us to surrender ourselves wholeheartedly to him. We are to release control over every aspect of our lives to God. When we place our hope in worldly things, we are ultimately disappointed. But if we put our hope in God, we will never be disappointed. We are to put our hope in God, despite our disappointment. We are to put our hope in God, although this year has not gone as planned. We are to put our hope in God in the midst of significant trials. We are to put our hope in God. He will never leave us or disappoint. So we know how the book of Kings began and we now know how it ends. We know how the year 2020 began And even amidst the uncertainty, we can know how it ends. We can end the year in hope by renewing our hope in God. If the beginning of a story matters, think how the year will end for a people expectant, full of faith in God. But I want to get really practical here for a minute. How are we to put our hope in God? While putting our hope in God could be as simple as a prayer of surrender, I want to provide a really practical example, which has helped me as I've prepared this sermon to put my hope in God. I'd like to encourage you then to do it with me. See this broken piece of clay? It is a tangible representation of our brokenness and disappointment. It represents all our fears, uncertainties, and disappointment. Every morning this week, when we come before the Lord in prayer each day, we are going to use our broken piece of clay to re-surrender our lives to God. I recommend undertaking this exercise first thing in the morning. But if morning doesn't work for you, choose a different time. As God's creatures, we were created to rely on Him. As we approach God in prayer, we begin by holding this broken piece of clay firmly in our hands, wrapping our fingers around it. We then lay out to God all our broken hopes and disappointments. Once we've shared deeply with God, we then open our hand to represent a releasing of these things to God. Think of this releasing like the releasing of a bird. What do you do when you release a bird into the wild? You let it go and fly away. It does not return to you, you have let it go. Its weight of captivity has been released. In the same way when we release to God all our broken fears, anxieties and disappointments, we let them go. We don't return to them throughout the day. But since we're human, if you catch your mind wandering back to that disappointment, say to yourself, I've let it go. It's in God's hands now. This is not a one-off exercise. We need to consciously choose to put our hope in God each day. We live in a world that is full of disappointment, but hope in God will never disappoint us. So let's put our hope in God. Put your hope in God. On your way into this morning, you too will have received a piece of clay. I'd like to invite you to take it out and do this exercise with me. Let's hold our broken piece of clay closed in our hand as a tangible representation of our disappointment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. You care intimately about us and that you alone are our hope. We want to come before you today and surrender to you our disappointment. In your heart with God in prayer, with your hand closed, lay out all your broken hopes and disappointments. Be really honest with God. Hold nothing back. I'd like to invite you to open your hand with me and pray. I surrender these things to you, Lord God. I no longer place my hope in worldly things. God, you alone are in control. You alone are my hope. I release to you all my fears, anxieties, and disappointments. Forgive me of the ways I have failed to place my hope in you. As I walk with you in this day ahead, I put my hope in you. Father God, today we as a community choose to put our hope in you. We surrender our lives to you afresh. We ask that you would come now and fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Pour out your hope into our hearts. Give us a deep sense of your peace. Would you anoint us to be your beacons of hope in this world of disappointment? Would we be lights shining in the darkness? bringing hope to those around us. Oh, how we love you, Lord. We sing of your goodness. You're so faithful, so good. We surrender ourselves to you afresh. In your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the band to come up as we sing our final song of worship.
3: I'm going to sing that chorus once again. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, I'll sing of the goodness of God. Can we just sing it again? out there, isn't it? It's not all honky-dory. Sometimes it's very tough, but through it all, he is so, so good. We love him and worship him. Now we're going to close this service now with a prayer. We have just five-minute break. For those who would like to remain, and then in five minutes' time, we'll be back here and Pastor Nathan will lead just this brief time of remembrance this morning. We pray. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Sometimes we cry out to you in the depths of despair. Satan tries to tell us that you're not listening. That is a lie. You are. You love. You care. You understand. And Lord, even if we just feel like that piece of broken clay today, when everybody else would chuck it out, oh, you take the clay and mold us. And those hands that mold the clay of our lives. They're not cruel hands. They are nail-pierced hands. This morning you are drawing us to your very heart. May we respond in faith and thanksgiving And we worship you together in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. It's great to see you. Yes, scones are outside uh, and be able to get them as we leave. But you might like to sit around, chat, talk, whatever. And in in just about uh, four minutes' time, Jenny will be playing a familiar old song associated with the war years. Thank you, we'll see you shortly.
1: We're going to move into a time just to remember those who have sacrificed their lives for the freedom that we know in this country. So if you want to begin to come and take your seat, and we'll move into that time in just a moment. It's very special that um, Inspire Service fell on Remembrance Day and just enabled us to have this lovely opportunity just to be able to spend some time together and to give thanks. And uh, and we're very blessed today, in fact, to have some people to be able to share with us here. Firstly, Neville Robbins is here from the 110th Signal Squadron, Vietnam, and he's going to um, share the ode after our minute's silence and also Major Brian Greer is here, First Field Regiment from Vietnam as well. And can we just thank these men for coming to help us today as well, it's a real blessing. We're also thankful to Michael Tracy who uh, is part of our fellowship here, Michael and Dawn Tracy. Um, he was the former CEO and editor-in-chief of the Defence Force Journal um, in, from Canberra and he has written this for us today as a background summary for Remembrance Day and uh, we're really, really thankful to him and, um, and, the, and the contribution that he's been able to make. Just, just um, I'll share some more interesting information around that, around Michael's role in this as well as I share some of the things that he's put together. But this reading uh, is a brief history and then following that, I'm going to, we're going to just have a moment to pray before a minute silence. I'm going to ask Um, Brian to come and to pray for our service men and women and their families and I'm going to do a a general prayer and then we'll pause for the minute silence and then Neville will come to bring the ode as well. So let me read this to you kindly put together by Michael. The 11th hour of the 11th day on the 11th month attained special significance in the post-war years. The moment when hostilities ceased on the Western Front became universally associated with the remembrance of those who had died in the war. This first modern world conflict had brought about the mobilisation of over 70 million people and left between 9 and 13 million dead. Perhaps as many as one third of them with no known grave." The Allied nations chose this day and time for the commemoration of their war dead. On the first anniversary of the armistice in 1919, two minutes silence was instituted as part of the main commemorative ceremony at the new Cenotaph in London. The silence was proposed by Australian journalist, Edward Honey, who was working in Fleet Street at the time. At about the same time, a South African statesman made a similar proposal to the British cabinet, which endorsed it. King George V personally requested all the people of the British Empire to suspend normal activities for 2 minutes on the hour of Armistice which stayed the worldwide which stayed the worldwide carnage of the four preceding years and marked the victory of right and freedom. On the second anniversary of the armistice in 1920, the commemoration was given added significance when it became a funeral with the return of the remains of an unknown soldier from the battlefields of the Western Front. Unknown soldiers were interred with full military honours in Westminster Abbey in London and Arc de Triomphe in Paris. In Australia, on the 75th anniversary of armistice in 1993, Remembrance Day ceremonies again became the focus of national attention. The remains of an unknown soldier exhumed from a First World War military cemetery in France were ceremonially entombed in the Australian War Memorial's Hall of Memory in Canberra. Remembrance Day ceremonies were conducted simultaneously in towns and cities all over the country, culminating at the moment of burial at 11 a.m. By way of interest, Michael Tracy, who put this together, was actually part of the Australian delegation sent to France to bring the remains of that unknown soldier back to Australia for internment in Canberra. In 1997, Governor-General Sir Sir William Dean issued a proclamation formally declaring the 11th of November to be Remembrance Day, urging all Australians to observe one-minute silence at 11 a.m., on the 11th of November each year to remember those who died or suffered for Australians' cause in all wars and armed conflicts. I'm going to invite you to stand where you are. I realise that we are drawing very close to 11am, so what we might do is I'm going to pray and then after the ode, Brian can then conclude our time by praying for our armed service, men and women. But Let me pray as we come to 11 o'clock and then we'll stand for a minute's silence. Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord, for those who have given their lives so that we might know the freedom that we know in this country. And Lord, our prayer today is that you would come and bring peace to our world. Lord, the devastation of war and conflict, Lord, we know we are only too aware of that. And so we pray, Lord, that you would overcome the evil in our world, we do pray. But Lord, we do give you thanks for those men and women who served in this way. And so we pause now to remember. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand for a minute's silence.
3: Let's remember the ode. They shall not grow old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them, lest we forget. Good morning. Let us pray for all the men and women
0: and especially their families of servicemen all over the world. Particularly all those who are not able to be here as fortunate as we are. But I do know that they're nothing without their families and particularly their church families. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: You can be seated. Thank you so much for sharing. And this wasn't special to be able to do that um, together to be able to remember. And you're free um, to move outside. There's the scones out there as well. And can we thank thank um, Neville and Brian as well, just again for sharing us and Michael as well. God bless. Thank you so much.